Okay, class number five. We've only got two more classes. This one and one more on this subject about Jesus, the chief cornerstone. A kind of review, just bringing us all kind of up to speed. Uh, we've talked about several aspects of Jesus. Trying to see him differently than maybe we traditionally see. Not that what we see traditionally is wrong. I'm just saying there's much more sometimes to look at and to consider. It's snowing again. Okay. All right. We've talked about, we started with kind of redefining the gospel. Certainly Jesus came, died for my sins. We understand that. But what we wanted to do is even take it a little bit deeper and talk about really what's going on is, is that on that death on the cross and in the resurrection, we see from many different passages, it, it seems that Jesus at that point somehow, some way, uh, he, was, he was, for lack of a better term, like crowned king of the universe with all authority. It seems that he gained and God gave him an authority after that that he did not have before. And that... Once that happened, now he becomes the head of the church. All things were placed under his feet. You know, we start hearing language and you're going, well, evidently all things weren't under his feet before. But that Jesus, that gospel is, is that Jesus now is, yeah, he's the son of God. He's always been that, but he was elevated even higher. Uh, and and when, when we say Jesus is Lord, it, it truly is that lordship. And we've talked about the age to come, um, or the coming age, and how the coming age is not necessarily what happens when we die and go to heaven and, you know, do whatever we do there. But the coming age is, and it's kind of like the kingdom of God, it is now, it is here, it is not fully restored, the coming is not fully here, but it is here now, um, started living it now. Introduce the idea that actually it involves the restoration of the paradise that God originally created. That God originally uh, envisioned before sin came in and corrupted everything. And so through Jesus, the ultimate authority, king of the universe, we can enter that age now. It's not fully restored, but we can start to control the things we can control, which is starting to live like the eternal age, like it was in the garden, in a sense. And we, we talked a lot about what was life like there, and it talked about, you know, you loving God and, and submitting to God and trying to live holy lives. God says, you know, be holy because I'm holy, meaning I, I created you to be this way. We can start trying to do that now. God later will restore some of the other physical aspects of that paradise, the the. Uh, immortality and the lack of the, the, the suffering and the hardship that were part of the curse that we looked at. We talked about allegiance to Jesus and even uh, uh, you know talked about and proposed the idea of redefining faith, not just I believe in something, but faith as allegiance. And we've gotten close to it before. We talk about, well, faith means I believe in something so much that I follow it. Okay, or, or, or I, I believe in something so much that I, I put my trust in it. But we talked a little bit about, it goes deeper in, in that sense of allegiance. And when you start thinking of it that way, other passages start making sense. When it says living by faith, well, what does that mean, living by faith? I live by allegiance. When Paul said in Galatians 2.20, 
Uh, the life I, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not just I live by believing in the Son of God or live by trusting in the Son of God, but I live it by my allegiance is committed to Him. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give Him my allegiance unless I believe in Him, you know, and trust in Him. But it's more than just that an intellectual I believe in Him. It is that commitment and surrender and allegiance. And you think about being called ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? You know, it's someone who lives in a foreign land, but his allegiance is still to his home country. Right. And that's who he lives for, and that's who he represents. And so when we say, I live by faith, I'm an ambassador. I'm living in this foreign country, if you will. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, right? Uh, but my allegiance is to another land and another king, and I represent them even though I live here. And then, uh, you know, we talked about uh, Jesus' uh, life here on earth. He seemed to have an like, uh, adversarial relationship or a strained relationship with the Pharisees and such. We talked about that last week and why. And then we started having some fun with talking about the Davidic temple or the Davidic tabernacle, rather. Uh, the, the third tabernacle uh, you know, it was like there's Moses's, then there was David's, and then later Solomon built a temple, and then later that one's going to get destroyed. Next week, and I'll, I'll foreshadow this on a little bit more later, we'll talk about the second temple. There was actually one in between Solomon's and the second one because they didn't go 300 years without anything. They had a place. Um, we'll talk about that one a little bit. But really, when we get into what is known as Herod's temple, or the second temple, and some of the challenges that that presented to Jesus, because it definitely affected the sociological, political environment of everything and everywhere he lived. And we'll get a little bit about that today, because we're going to start talking about just the day-to-day -day life that Jesus must have lived. Because a lot of times we think of Jesus, we think of magic Jesus. Okay, what I mean is, is the guy who can do miracles and walk on water and tell the storm to stop. And, you know, we think that guy. We don't think of the normal guy walking around and how he lived and what was life like for him. And we don't think of some of the other things in this culture around him. We think he just kind of went to these towns and started doing stuff. Versus, well, why did he say that here? What was going on in these places? And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of that today. Uh, you know, Jesus, born about, uh, some, most people think about 4 B.C., which is weird, because when I was growing up, I, I th thought B.C. meant before Christ, yeah. right? So if it was four years before Christ, it was Christ. I, um, I, yeah. when, and when all of that stuff came up, they kind of, everything was hinged on, you know, A.D., which also I thought meant after death, which I learned later that's not what that means. It's kind of, I go, well, what happened to that 30 years in the middle? It's kind of like a chronological purgatory. There's no time at all. But um, it doesn't actually mean that. Uh, but it is interesting. One of the impacts that Jesus has had is time kind of gets split between B.C. or B.C.E. now, as they call it. Uh, yeah, and then uh, CE, and basically, and, and they've changed it instead of AD, BC, BCE, and CE, which basically means, you know, huh? 
It, it, they took Jesus out of it. They took the religious thing out of it. But it's all still that same thing. It's common, common uh, age, or in, and, and basically it's from year one this way, this way, this way. Um, and it used to center around Jesus, and it still kind of does. Although most scholars believe that um, it really wasn't year one; it's about year negative four. Um, as, as more things have happened. It's complicated to try to figure Jesus out the way he lived because almost all the writings that we have today about him are writings from about 100 years after his life, even the Gospels and things. We don't have original copies like the one Matthew actually wrote. We have copies of the one Matthew wrote type of a thing. Um, so... You don't have that. Plus, you don't understand, back during these days, records, histories, things like that tended to focus on the rich and powerful, which Jesus was not either as he lived on this earth. Okay, so it wasn't like a ton of historians were gathered around him keeping records of what was going on. Plus, most of, a lot of people didn't read or write necessarily. It wasn't common. You couldn't just go pick up a notebook either. It's a major production to get the whole things to write on and things like that. If you remember, like in Revelation, you got the letters to the seven churches. At the beginning of each one, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, or the angel of the church of Sardis, or whatever. That term angel, uh, which basically just means messenger, it was actually a, a role in the church, and some people feel like it was kind of, maybe even the minister. It was like, you know, that was the guy who, A, he knew how to read, okay? And he would take the letter and disperse the communication out to everybody. It wasn't necessarily a heavenly being of the church of Ephesus. It was like, hey, you, dude, in Ephesus or Sardis or, or you know, whatever, you get this word out to your church. This is, this is my message to you guys, and you're the one that's doing it. Uh, and so we see, though, it's like... When we think of our days, everybody reads, everybody writes, everything, you get it down, you sit there, you take your notes, you do your things. That wasn't that way in that culture. So there's not a lot, just this plethora of information about Jesus uh, and, and what was going on. Uh, there are th different things that we know you got, you know, you have to look at the community around it. Uh, the population of that area, the Palestinian area around Jesus' day, the whole area was about half a million to 600,000 people. It's about what Vermont maybe is now, okay? Or the city of Boston. All right, I don't know. I'm talking about the city, not the whole metropolitan area. Um, so you got that. There was a, a, a heavy Greek influence. It was called sometimes, if you ever heard the term Hellenistic, that just means Greek. And that's left over from Alexander the Great, who expanded and spread that Greek influence all over the place. And then when, of course, when that kind of faded, but the influence was still there. And this was something that will affect Jesus' life greatly, as we're going to see in a few moments. Uh, Jerusalem, um, again, it's kind of hard, you know, you say, what are the surrounding areas? And there's a lot of different, uh, different numbers, but it wasn't, as a city, that monstrously large. You know, about 55,000, 75,000 people. Um, and it could swell, double, triple that during the, the major, uh, um, what do you call that, festivals. And that's going to affect us. You just got to remember that affects us later when Jesus starts speaking at some of these festivals and when things start happening. You see a lot of stuff surrounds those, these festivals. 
because that's what there's a lot going on in town, a lot of gatherings, and a lot of money. Life hadn't changed a lot. Money's gonna gonna motivate a lot, um, particularly when you get around Herod's temple. The second commandment forbade graven images. Therefore, in the Jewish culture, there's hardly no portraits or carvings or statues like you have in other cultures. They said that they would be considered graven images. We don't have those. So you don't have like a family portrait of Jesus and his brothers and sisters and such. You don't have a lot of this type of thing going on. Um, the Jews uh, produced little in the ways, as a culture in that time, but paintings, sculptures, carvings. Um, the notable exception was it seemed like the, 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 one of the exceptions was kids could have dolls. They, they let little kids have dolls to play with. That's kind of been going on. Uh, typically, there was two meals a day. Okay, uh, Light breakfast, which would be maybe some flatbread, which bread was kind of one of the main foods there. You know, you get a little olive oil, some cheese. Okay, Usually, it was goat or sheep cheese. We think cheese, milk with cows, that wasn't as prominent then, much more with the goats and the sheep and the stuff. A lot of people would carry it to work and have that mid-morning. Dinners were more substantial. They would have some veggie stew, maybe lentil stew. Poorer people, which would probably, which would entail Jesus, the bread was barley, not wheat. Wheat was for richer people. It's harder to come by. You know, you get fruit, you get eggs, cheese, stuff like that. Fish was a common stable, particularly around Galilee, Nazareth, that area that was closer to that, that which is the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. But there you have it. Um, beef, they would have, but it was reserved for special occasions. Okay, it wasn't like where I grew up, it was for, you know, like, it's what's for dinner. It's every night. That was basically it. Now, this area... Uh, uh, food-wise, was known as the land of milk and honey. Matter of fact, in Exodus 2, I'm sorry, 3, 8, that's what God said. I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, and this this term you see, uh, uh, you know, repeated a lot. We were talking, uh, I think it was last night, uh, at, the, at the wine tasting event, which Steve hosted, or, or actually conducted, I think the Delaportes hosted it, and it was wonderful. But I was talking with uh, Betty Lee Avenue and saying, if you've ever had milk, like straight from the goat or the cow, who would ever think that was good? It's <laughs> and even Betty, who says it's good, said, it's got to be cold, though. I'm going, they didn't have refrigeration. They couldn't keep it. I mean, if you were going to have a glass of milk this morning, you better milk it this morning. Yeah. You know? Uh, but that's all they had. <laughs> I think it was more of a, just a, a euphemism. Uh, and they said that this is going to be a, a, a prosperous place, a good place, a fruitful place. The honey is not necessarily what we think of as honey. Okay. <laughs> Now, they did have bees, and the bees did make honey. Usually when it's referring to those, though, it will specify a honeycomb or something like that because the phrase used for honey is kind of a generic phrase, and it's often referred to this special dish, which is incredibly delicious, 
Um, and it's more like a paste or a spread, maybe like a jam made with dates. And uh, which would say, okay, these have a lot of date trees there, and they have a lot of this thing because they would make that, and they would spread it on their bread, and they would take it in. And, and it's wonderful. And it would be a phrase that, that what we have translated as honey could be that, probably something like that. Uh, and then if it's bee honey like we know, which they had, but you think if the land is flowing with it, there's, there's got to be honeybees everywhere. No, it would specify kind of that that's a special type of honey. The milk was uh, primarily goat and sheep. Also a very unique thing in the diet, John the Baptist was noted for this one. What? Locusts. Once again, who looked at a locust and said, that looks tasty? I don't know. (laughs) Somebody was really hungry. But that's the way I feel about lobster and a lot of crustaceans. It's like, doesn't really look appetizing. But... Actually, I've never tried this. I'm just taking it somebody's word uh, that the locust actually tastes a lot like shrimp. Of which the Jews would not know because they couldn't eat shrimp. <laughs> the shellfish and the crustaceans. Uh, but they could eat locust and that would be a, a part of it. Um, children, they would play games. They're just like kids and they play hopscotches and forms of jacks and things like that. They found in archaeology whistles and rattles and... You know, empty boxes where the kids threw the gifts away and just played with the box all day on Christmas. I, I'm just joking on that part. And the older people, they had board games similar to our checkers and stuff. You know, these things have just been around forever. The tradesmen uh, would wear trinkets or things that would symbolize who they were. And you would be able to pick that up. A uh, carpenter, I don't understand this one. It talked about having like wood chips behind their ears. I go, what, he got like a pencil? I don't know. I would assume it's carved in some decorative way. Tailors would, have, would wear pins. Now, if you were a dyer of clothes, obviously your clothes would be dyed. Most, a lot of people, most people's weren't. Jesus's probably weren't because that was a luxury. You needed money to purchase that. You don't just go buy clothes like we go buy clothes. And you don't go and say, what color is this? And what color is this? And let's match it with this. And let's match it. it didn't work that way. Most of it. It was a woolen tunic we'll get to in just a second, and it wasn't dyed. It was just the color of it was. But if you were that person, uh, you would have all that. Um, But they didn't wear these on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you took all of that type of adornment off and just went straight. Jesus is called in Mark 6, verse 3, the son, not the son of a carpenter. Jesus was called a carpenter. Okay, we always talk about he's the son of a carpenter. But in, somebody read Mark 6, 3. Okay, they took offense at him. But here you go, this is the carpenter. Now remember, Jesus is 30-something years old. It's interesting that Joseph is not mentioned here. Most people feel like it's because he, he's died. He's, not, he's no longer there. Because it's strange that they mention his mom, but not his dad. They mention his whole family, but not his father. So, and that's kind of why even later in the story, you know, you have Mary at the tomb. You have Mary, you know, coming to see, you know, where's dad? Evidently, he's not around anymore. But then he's got all these kids. Maybe that killed him. I don't know. But... <laughs> I, I, but they've got, I don't know how many sisters he had. He's got at least 
four brothers here, okay? But he's a carpenter. Um, it would be normal, and, and he's also known as the son of a carpenter. It's expected that the, the firstborn would follow in the father's footsteps. Uh, and, however, the Greek word here for carpenter is also translated builder or construction worker. And, yeah, sometimes it is associated with a woodworker, but it was also associated with masons or uh, pottery or even musicians sometimes. It was like a craftsman. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm fine with Jesus being a carpenter. Well, I'm just saying it, he was not this guy, for you know, who just grew up and started preaching. He had a, a, a vocation. And he was known as a craftsman. And probably, you know, like today, you know, you got this guy, he does the carpentry. This guy comes in and does the drywall. This guy comes in and does the electrical. This guy comes in and does the plumbing. This guy comes in and does the painting. And he lays the carpet. And this guy. Back then, you had like, you just did it. You were the builder. You know, and you had a crew and everybody just kind of did it. And that's probably where Jesus was. Kind of that handyman. Tim, the tool man, you know, he, he could do it all. He was a builder. Uh, and, and work with that until he gave that up and went on with his, his ministry. Now, here's a big question for us all to ponder. When did Jesus know? Well, let somebody read for me. Somebody read for me John 1.1. 1, 1. Somebody read that. Okay. We later know the word became flesh. What is that, 14 or 16? 14. When did Jesus know he was with God and was God? You ever thought about that? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I wondered if it was when he was 12 and stayed in the temple to be with his father. Okay, so... Should have been when he was 12. We're going to look at that verse here in just a minute. But that would mean you got a 12, 13-year-old kid going through puberty who's all-powerful. That could be challenging. That could be challenging. I've known some 12-year-olds that I would not want to be all-powerful. <laughs> but it's possible. What else? What do we think? When, when did he know? Okay, he wasn't normal like any other kid? Okay, we're going to look at the baptism, so maybe that was it? Yep, yeah. Okay, something's going on. Now, we're going to look at what he actually said when they found him in the temple. Because there's a lot of different ways to take that. Um, and what was actually going on when they found him in the temple. But uh, did he know? Did he know? I don't know. Verse 2 says he was with God. Yeah, but then he became human. So I'm saying he's with God, but then he becomes human. Yeah. What is he? Two years old and he's, he's omniscient. That's that's the question. You got a, you got an omniscient toddler going around here. How does this work? 
That's the question. <laughs> yeah. In, in Matthew 3 and 4, where he talks about, this is my son, I'm well pleased for you in Matthew 3. Okay. Four, he goes out and you equip them and the angels minister to him. He was one thing, but I think it's somewhere early in Acts, or in late Matthew, when he became, there's something specific. He became something different. Not okay. The transfiguration of that, but he was this. <laughs> And yeah, this. and whatever the transfiguration was. Whatever that, there was some point when he became reunited with God and you know, incarnate somewhere in there. There was something different in those thirty-three years. All right, well, let's look at this. Yeah, let's let's start looking because this is you know, it's one of those things you think about. Well, this is Jesus here. He's human, but he's God. When did he become God? If he was, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if not, then he's a one-year-old who nobody else can speak in his class. But he's God. You know, all his peers are normal one-year-olds, but he's, how does this work? But let's think about it. We, I'm not saying we got answers. Uh, now, we understand Luke 2, from birth, those that come worship him as the king. He's the king of the Jews. They know something's up with this kid. I don't know that they have put together Son of God, Messiah, you know, all of that yet, but they're coming to worship Jesus. We've got uh, Simeon and Anna, you know, they, were, they, they, they talk about him, he is the one God sent, okay, this is the one. Now, we got age 12, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. Okay, I'm going to get that in my own Bible here. I think it's like 41 through 50, that whole story where you lose the Son of God as mom and dad. It's not great. You know, like God goes, I'm giving you my son here to raise, and you leave him in Jerusalem. Um, Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everybody who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, that's the funny part, because this is mom and dad. How could you do this to me? <laughs> I've been worried sick. Where have you been? That's basically what they say. You know, and he says, why are you searching? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Um, even in the Greek, it's kind of weird. He said, I just had to be a, at dad's, at my father's. Okay? Some people have interpreted this to be about my father's business. That's kind of a stretch because it doesn't say that. Right. It doesn't say house either. Uh, I, I needed to be with my father. Something. Yeah. The version that I have. Yes. Again, that's kind of is, is it, that's an interpretation, and I appreciate that. But <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. If you go, just go to the Greek, and it doesn't say that. But here's the deal: Jesus could have said, "Okay, is it possible?" No, we're not at magic Jesus yet. We're not at an adult Jesus. Sometimes we want to put that on him at 12 years old. He wakes up. He realizes, just like mom and dad realized, where's Jesus? At some point, this 12-year-old went, where's mom and dad? And he goes, I don't know. They go, All right, what do I do? Where do I go? I'm in this city of 
55, 75,000 people that I don't know because I'm from Nazareth. I'm a visitor. Where do I go? I'm going to the temple. I know that place because we've been there to worship. That's why we came here. So I go. And I'm staying there. And that's what they do in the temple. They sit around and talk about God, talk about things. And he's asking questions, and they're answering. He's answering questions, and they're going, this kid is sharp. This kid is special. I don't know that they're saying, this kid is omniscient. This kid knows all. I don't know that they're saying that necessarily. That they are amazed how smart he is. Understanding what we know of as bar mitzvahs, you know, the whole thing. That didn't actually come in until like the third, third or fourth century uh, later. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is they did have in the, in the, the Mishnah that... You started basically at the age of five-year-old. You start teaching your kids the scriptures. That would have happened with Jesus. By the time they turned 10 years old, you start teaching them the Mishnah, which is all the oral traditions. At 13, there was not the ceremony. The whole ceremony thing didn't come till Middle Ages. 13th century, not third, 13th. The Middle Ages. But it was known as the time of, okay, you're now responsible. You're now a man. That's when you're expected now to follow the commandments in the Jewish culture at 13. So Jesus is 12. It could have been that, hey, he's been studying the scripture since he's five. Because that's what he would have been doing. He's been studying the, the, the mission of the oral tradition since he was 10. And he's a smart kid. I don't know if he's there or not he could have been but that again that's kind of interesting but yeah it could have been that they just found him he goes hey this is where you know this is where I'm going to be because this is the only place I know in Jerusalem this is this is where you know and he came and found me and I'm talking to these guys and they're impressed because he's a smart kid well doesn't this stand the reason also that he's going to be submissive he's going to submit to the authorities he's going to submit to his parents he's going to submit yeah. to the I don't think Jesus ran away from mom and dad and hid from them while they left town. I think you're right. He would be submissive to his parents. I think they legitimately got separated. No, I'm not just talking about yeah. that moment. I'm talking, I'm talking about, you know, he starts his teaching at five. and You're right. And he would do that. And, at, and we see at age 30, he starts his ministry. But 30 is that common age in that period. Right. Of adulthood. Of basically adulthood and put in leadership responsibility. Right. But, up, but even up to that point, he's going he's gonna to submit. Absolutely. He, as a normal kid, he would have gone through that structure of five-year-olds start this studies, start these studies. You're learning your trade. That's what you do. You get the apprenticeship with dad. You go through. He would do all of that. And he'd be that odd child that would go through the terrible twos. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. Well, I was just thinking this idea of puberty. <coughs> at, at that time, children, their brains develop to the point where they can begin to think like an adult. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think he's growing and maturing. I don't, like I said, it's just weird. And there's no clear cut, boom, he, he knew all or whatever. Again, remember, we've also looked at other After the death and the rest something, he was given additional authority or whatever. Even after that. Now we know this, this guy's the son of God, right? I mean... People are seeing it, again, whether they knew exactly what that meant, that the Roman centurion at Jesus' death, 
who goes, surely this was the son of God. John Wayne's worst acting role ever, actually, <laughs> was in a movie where he played that Roman. Surely this was the son of God. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I always thought John Wayne can do no wrong until I saw that role. But he, he knew something was up. Um, you know, the Apostle John would later state, we have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. But that's kind of at the end of the story. Uh, you know, Jesus did, ma- you know, his major proof obviously was the resurrection, which is the end of the story. Thomas, after Jesus had died and been resurrected, said, my Lord and my God. Okay, when he felt the, you know, the holes in his hands and, and all of that stuff. Colossians 2.9 is the weird verse that says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, in bodily form. So I don't know uh, how it all works, how it all comes together. Um, because Jesus was physical. He felt hunger. He got sleepy. There were times when Jesus, you know, I mean, he's he's snoozing in the boat during the storm because he's sleepy, he's tired. So he's not all-powerful. I never sleep. I don't have any rest. He has a physicalness about him, yet the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So it's got to be some kind of a mixture. And, of course, Philippians 2, verse 7, says he emptied himself. Became obedient, and became emptied himself and became human. What does that empty himself mean? Because I don't know. How does it all work? We're never going to figure it out. You know why? We ain't God, and we ain't eternal, and we ain't all knowing. We're looking for clues to try to understand this incredible man who is the Son of God and the Messiah that we have pledged allegiance to. We're trying to connect with him a little bit. And we're striving to, to try to understand this. Now, we get to his baptism. There does seem to be something happens. Okay, it's in Matthew 3, and it's in Mark 1. And it says in Matthew 3, 16, it says, As soon as uh, Jesus was baptized, came up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes we look at clouds. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, it might have been... What we understand is somehow reality is it's almost like science fiction, another dimension. You, you, you see, you know, the eternal dimension, the spirit dimension opens or something. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. But we envision that clouds parted. Um, and then God descending, it says, if you look it up again, it's, it's, it's not a, a dove. If the illustration is it's, it's, it's like a dove or as a dove, the translation is like, um, as if, or in the, in the manner of. It comes gently, like a butterfly with sore feet, landing softly upon Jesus. The Spirit comes on. With all due respect, the dove, uh, my, my father-in-law, uh, when I was sharing with him at one point in time, I'd just come back from hunting dove, and he rebuked me severely because that was a holy bird in his, in his upbringing, you know, uh, as, as an Italian uh, so, I'm sorry, Sicilian. Don't want to get that one wrong. Uh, as a Sicilian Catholic, you know, that was a holy bird. 
because of this. But it's not necessarily a dove. It's just gently the Spirit descends on Jesus. God comes out and says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Um, or this is my son whom I love. Some of you have listened to him. Something happened. Here's the Spirit, though. It, I, I tend to think this is where he starts to get the miraculous Jesus. Because now the Spirit is there. Not that, you know, God, he wasn't with God in the beginning and all of that stuff. Right, right, right. Because it's after this, quote unquote, the ministry starts. Mm-hmm. It's after this, the miracles start. Everything turns on this event. Not necessarily the baptism, because Jesus said, dude, like John goes, dude, what am I baptizing you? You need to be baptizing me. Right. And Jesus goes, look, you know, we need to do it to fulfill all righteousness. But this thing about the Spirit of God and God coming down and saying, you're it now. That's it. Let's, and it's almost as if God were saying, okay, let's go. Appreciate you, carpenter, but now we got a job to do. You know, you're going to go do this job. And, and is it at that moment that everything clicked with him? When the Spirit comes on him? Although he knew, I mean, gee, Mary must have told him something about his birth. Right. You know, there's the angel. He said he knew you. <laughs> Y'all used to hang out. I don't know if you remember him. But, but you know, he came and you're from God and you're supposed to. So, gee, I, he had to know something and it might have been confusing to him. Okay. I don't know what God's got going on in my life. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit comes on and goes, boom. I don't know, hybrid, maybe a little of both. It's just interesting to think through, to try to think. Because when you say, well, he knew all along, well, then now, you know, you just get that one-year-old, you know, or two-year-old, or when did it happen? Three-year-old, five, six, eight. Well, it kind of is, though. Maybe. It's kind of like he knows, no, something's going to happen, and that's where, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. Now, this doesn't not going to make any difference because you're going to tell me no 13-year-old. But under the Jewish law, you weren't responsible until you were 13 anyway. Girls, I'm sorry, it was at 12. Okay. You could say it's because you're more responsible than guys. I don't know. Um, but girls, the, the bat mitzvah, it, it happened at 12. Boys at 13. But the point is, is nobody would have, he, he wouldn't have been held responsible for the terrible twos or the whatevers. Uh, on the other hand, how many 13 or 14-year-olds do you know that are perfect? I don't know. You're right. I don't know. We got, we, we're almost done here. Yeah. Okay, just real quick. Yeah. Um, John 3, 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word for God, for God gives the spirit without limit. Mm-hmm. So could it be that when he was baptized, he was given that spirit without limit? Now, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm asking. Sure, sure. And, and, and without limit could mean I'm giving... You, the spirit without limit, or it could mean God gives the spirit to whoever. I'm not limiting who I'm giving it to. 
It could yeah, also. I was thinking more like yeah. the other where it was. I'm giving it because, because even died. the apostles who had the spirit, okay, it came in, in Acts 2, right? They could not indiscriminately do miracles anytime, anywhere, any way they wanted. It was limited to what the Spirit wanted to do through them. That's why Paul even later goes, you ever wonder when Paul tells Timothy, drink some wine for your stomach's sake? Go, dude, just heal him for crying out loud. But he, you know, if he's got problems, deal with it. But he evidently, he couldn't just indiscriminately go, okay, you, I'm hit you, boom. But Jesus could. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I don't asking, know. I'm asking. I never know Jesus. Well, there was a time when he went back home, and we're not going to get to any of that today, uh, where he said he couldn't do many miracles in that town, in his hometown. That was a faith thing, right? That wasn't really a, a power on him. That's more of a faith of the people. On the other hand, I got other people doing miracles. It had nothing to do with their faith. There's gotcha. something going on there, but I'm just going, I don't even the Son of God had a tough time doing miracles in that town. He couldn't just do anything he wanted when he wanted. Something was happening there. We're going to get to Bethsaida okay. next week. Sorry. Um, and what was going on there? You had your hand up. Yeah, if, so if Jesus' first miracle was the wedding at Cana. Right. Clearly before that, he had the powers, right? It didn't just initiate at the wedding. So if he had his powers before then, like, <laughs> why could he not have had them in his youth? Like, just because it never manifested itself yeah. like, other than the worldly logic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> I love that, though, he had his powers. It's almost like, you know, he got my powers now. <laughs> um, or it could have been, I think, it, 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 like like the apostles, and we'll get you, and you're going to get our last comment, so it better be good. But No, but... The apostles, it had to be in tune with what the Spirit and God wanted. And so God is like, you know, you know, here's a 14-year-old Jesus going, you know, I really want to win this game, you know, or whatever. I could do it. You know, it's kind of like Superman. I could make a touchdown every time, Dad. God's going, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to give you the power to do it. That's not what this is for until later. I don't know. But I know Jesus was totally in unison with God. So it's not just what Jesus wants. It's, it's all, and it, it seemed to be the same way with the apostles. Yeah, <laughs> that, wrap us up, Bella. I was going to say that it seems it's best to not be disturbed by things that we can't really assume or perceive because the text doesn't say, you know. Right. There is no, you know, well, at this time he knew what was going on. You know? Right. There was no, you can assume that this is what was happening. Right. And I, and I hope we're not disturbed by this stuff. I don't want to be disturbed by it. On the other hand, this is the type of stuff that some critics will throw in your face. And I don't want it to be the first time you ever thought about it is when some critic throws it in your face. Um, I'm not disturbed by it. It doesn't bother me that I don't know the answer. I don't even know all the questions. <laughs> when it comes to understanding fully God and Jesus. I know, it, it just... It, his, his mother's known since conception. His mother knew, right? But so, and he was cousin with John. J the B. John. Right. J, J, and J, 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 J,
Okay, well, let me ask you something. Let me not just you, anybody. You all know God. You all believe God. You've all professed faith in God and allegiance to God. Does that mean you never sin? No. Okay. I'm just saying, just knowing doesn't necessarily make me perfect. I was never one with God from the beginning. That's true. So then Jesus had an advantage. It's not really fair. Huh? I mean, I can't, he can't, Jesus can't really say, well, I did it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, we're having fun now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We didn't get into Bethlehem. We didn't get what did Jesus look like. But Satan will get into all of that next week as we talk about that and Herod's temple.